Radio. Welcome to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast, where we help entrepreneurs like you build the wealth and lifestyle you deserve. My name is Nicholas Jensen, bringing you the secrets behind the relationships, strategies, and mindset of the most successful people on the planet. Showing you how to collapse time frames in order to win at business, money, and the adventures of life. You don't know what you don't know, so I'm here to show how the wealthy live, think, and make their money grow. It's time to live the life that you deserve. I'm, I'm here to help. My, my name is Nicholas Jensen. And, and this is Unlimited Wealth. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Unlimited Wealth Podcast. My name is Nicholas Jensen. Today, I have with me Paul Smith. He is an award-winning author. He's one of the foremost experts on storytelling in business and leadership. He's one of Inc. Magazine's top 100 leadership speakers of 2018, and he's written books such as Lead with a Story, Parenting with a Story, Sell with a Story, and The 10 Stories Great Leaders Always Tell. So welcome, Paul. Hi, thanks for having me on. It's good to be here. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, hey, before we get started, maybe just kind of give our listeners a little preview on how did you get started into becoming an expert on, on storytelling? Yeah, well, I, I sure didn't uh, start out my career uh, that way. Uh, that, that's for sure. Uh, so I, I kind of stumbled into it, I'll admit. But it was, you know, really just after 15 or 20 years of, you know, kicking around in the business world, that it finally dawned on me that that was an important skill set to have. And I didn't have it. And they didn't teach me that in business school. And they didn't teach me that when I joined uh, Accenture. And they didn't teach me that at the Procter & Gamble company. And uh, so I, I just had to set out on my own little personal learning journey. So I started reading books on the topic and I started interviewing the leaders that I, I thought were the, really good at it and I still didn't know. <laughs> and so uh, and that was just frustrating. So I, I ended up interviewing more people and more people. And I guess somewhere along the way, I realized, gosh, if I want to know this that badly, probably there are some other people who do as well. And so it became not just as my own selfish learning journey, but it became an idea for a book. So that, that's kind of when the whole career turned. Uh, now now I'm, I'm writing a book on this topic and, you know, the book came out and I ended up getting calls from people to help their leaders do that. And so it just, it led to a whole career change, but it really started out as me just, just trying to learn this myself. I like so many business ventures that happen organically over time is oftentimes it's, you're wanting to learn something specific or you're interested in something specific and then it kind of goes down that road. Was there a specific, um, incident that kind of prompted you to like, oh, storytelling is the way to go? Or did it just evolve over time? Well, there was um, definitely a choice that I made uh, when I decided, you know, I, I think I want to do this for a living. I'd, I'd rather not just do this as a hobby, but I want to, you know, make my career out of being an author and a speaker. And so I had to choose what is the thing that I want to go deep on and be an expert at. Um, and actually, I'd, I'd uh, I'd read a book called um, Made to Stick by Chip and Dan Heath. It came out in, I think, 2009. Uh, and I, I ended up becoming their first licensed trainer for that book. That I, uh, what I really wanted to do was be a speaker and trainer and coach. Um, and I started out with, with that book. And, and if you ever read that book, the, the, it talks about six different things that um, ideas that really thrive and survive the test of time have. And it's that they're, I think it's uh, simple unexpected, credible, concrete, emotional stories. Those are the six criteria. And that sixth one just really resonated with me. Like if I was going to pick one thing in that that I wanted to focus on, that was the one that intrigued me the most. So that, that definitely was a turning point for me in, in focusing on storytelling. Okay. So when you look at business and selling and, and leadership, so I, as we talked before we got on the podcast here, I read your book, Sell with a Story, probably 18 months ago. And 
and uh, it's really helped me in, in my business and the sales interactions that I have and things like that. But why is it? Why do stories help? What's the difference? Like if, if I'm in a sales interaction, I'm just having a conversation with somebody versus I'm telling somebody a story with a specific outcome or try to lead them to a specific, out, a specific outcome. What's the difference? What happens in, in their minds that, that makes that so much better? Yeah. And in there, as you know, from reading the book, there are probably dozens of reasons, but I give you my top two or three here. The, the most important one is that's uh, the reason, the way that people make decisions is not what we used to think it was, right? We used to think that we all made these logical, rational decisions. <laughs> and it turns out we, we don't always, it turns out more often than not, we make subconscious, emotional, sometimes irrational decisions in one place in our brain. And then we justify those decisions logically and rationally a few nanoseconds later in a different place in our brain. And so we leave a decision-making process thinking that we made it for all these rational, logical reasons. But the truth is our subconscious brain decided for us a few nanoseconds earlier for more emotional reasons. So if you want to influence what people think and feel and do, which is what leaders do and salespeople do, right, marketers do, it turns out you need to influence them not just in that logical, rational thinking part of the brain. You need to influence the emotional, uh, intuitive, subconscious part of the brain as well. And stories are just uniquely qualified to help you reach that. But, you know, they also make stories more memorable. They make everything more memorable, uh, stories do. Um, maybe the only other one worth, worth mentioning here in the short time that we have is that uh, stories can actually add value to the product or service that you're selling, like literally make them more valuable. And, and uh, the, the two guys that really proved that uh, was, they were named uh, Rob Walker and Josh Glenn, I believe it was. And they, they did this fascinating experiment where they, they went out and they bought a bunch of uh, junk basically at uh, flea markets and garage sales, a hundred items. I think they paid on average a dollar and 29 cents each or something. And then they sold all those items one at a time on eBay. But instead of just putting a, you know, you always put a picture of the item and right next to it, there's a description. But instead of the description of the item, they just wrote these stories. And they were just silly stories. And they were all fictional stories. And they made it very clear, these are fictional stories. None of this is true. It's just, you know, for fun. And, you know, so like the item might be a little a used piggy bank, a little porcelain piggy bank. And the story next to it would be something about how, oh, this piggy bank, you know, uh, used to belong to this six-year-old girl. And, she, uh, and it would come to life every night and fly around the room. And she would, you know, put her pennies in it. And, you know, just some silly story that was obvious it was not true. And then they sold all those items with nothing more than a picture and a silly story. And they sold the items for like three, three or $4,000, right? So the, the value went up two or 3,000%, you know, really just because of the story. Now, some of it I'm sure was because they were selling it on eBay and not at a garage sale, but, but uh, the, the authors had concluded that there was clearly some value that came just from the stories being attached to it. People wanted, I don't want just any piggy bank. I want the piggy bank that's got that, that story about it, right? Even though it's not true. So stories can add value to the thing that you're selling. So that, that and probably nine other reasons, but uh, those are probably my favorite three. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting piece of data that, uh, I mean, it's interesting to me that just a story can add that much value to, to a product. You know, like if the product's the exact same, the service is the exact same, and you just put a story behind it, it's interesting that it can add that much value. Yeah. Well, and, and you know it's true. If since you, I know you read the first chapter of the book, right? This, the 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 picture that my wife bought at that art fair. Do you remember the story at Pig Island? Yeah, yeah. Where the pigs where the pigs would go out and um, uh, swim in the ocean. 
Right. Yeah. So yeah. that story, that's why we bought that picture. Right. <laughs> so that picture was worth more to me once the guy told me the story about it. Now everybody's going to wonder what in the heck we're talking about. We well, have to go. I, I was going to say, guess, but, can um, you reiterate that story yeah. real quickly? Yeah, I can. I, I guess we kind of ruined it by sharing the end. But um, yeah, my, my wife and I went to this art fair to, to buy some art for my kid's bathroom at home. And she got attached to this picture that, that was, to me, just um, about as out of place as a pig in the ocean because, you know, it literally was a picture of a pig in the ocean. And when the artist tried to explain to us, you know, how on earth he got a photograph of a pig swimming in the ocean, which to me, that's like a cow or, you know, so, you know <laughs> something, uh, something else swimming in the ocean that just has no business swimming in the ocean. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, that was the craziest thing. He said, I took that picture off the coast of, the, of this uninhabited island in the Bahamas called Big Major K. And he said, um, apparently what happened was a local entrepreneur decided to raise a pig farm for bacon, I guess. Um, but, uh, he, and he found this island that nobody was living on that he could keep the pigs for free. So he's no dummy. So he's going to keep them on the free island, right? Well, anyway, uh, he said, but look in the picture, look up behind the pig up on the beach and what kind of vegetation do you see up there? And I kind of squinted and looked up there and said, well, I don't really recognize anything up there except for the cactus. And he said, right, <laughs> that's a problem, right? Pigs don't like cactus, right? So they literally didn't have anything to eat. But fortunately, as you remember, the, there was a, uh, a restaurant owner on a neighboring island who every night would uh, boat his kitchen refuse over to Big Major K and dump it overboard a few dozen yards offshore. Well, so pretty soon these hungry little pigs, you know, if you're hungry enough, you'll do anything, right? Sure. So even though they normally don't swim, you know, these starving pigs, finally one of them, you know, dog paddled or pig paddled his way out to get the food floating out in the ocean. And then, then it's two little piggies and then three little piggies. And, you know, pretty soon all the pigs on Big Major K can swim. And so now here it is three or four generations later, all of them can swim. And that's why they don't even call it Big Major K anymore, right? Everybody calls it Pig Island because there's, it's this famous place where pigs can swim. So um, anyway, of course, after he told me that story, I had to buy it, right? I'm like, okay, sold. I want it. How much are you charging? I'll pay it. Doesn't matter, right? So just that story, you know, made me want to buy it, but it also made it worth more money to me, right? Because now I wasn't just buying a picture. I was buying a picture with an interesting story attached to it. Or maybe better said, I was buying an interesting story that had a cool picture attached to it. Right. And, and, and that's why that's the picture that's hanging in my, my bathroom, up, our kid's bathroom upstairs. And if you ever come to my house and go to the bathroom, I'm going to tell you that story again. Right. Because I love telling the story. I love listening to the story. You know, so, yeah, stories can literally add value to the thing that you're selling. So you're telling me that story. The thing that comes to my mind is that I'm like, how much money have you made off telling that story in your books <laughs> in speaking engagements in podcasts? Yeah. You know what I mean? From that one little story. Yeah, yeah, you paid, let's say, full price for that picture. Maybe you even paid more than the actual value of the picture was. It was worth but it. how much <laughs> have you made off of that story? You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, half my income in the last you know, four years. <laughs> so, yeah, I, 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 should, I should send that guy a, a Christmas uh, present every year. Yeah, that's awesome. So going back to... Um, in fact, I'm going to do it right now. Uh, if you want to buy this picture, Google a guy named Chris Gugliamello. G he goes by Chris Gug, G-U-G. Uh, and then Google Mello, figure out how to spell that. It's a pretty, you know, un unique name. And that picture is called, um, I don't know, Google, you know, pig swimming pig or something like that. Uh, what I'll do is in the show notes, I'll Google this and I'll find it. Yeah. And I'll put, put a there. link in the show notes for people. We definitely give the guy a shout out here. Yeah. That's awesome. So going back to, to sales and marketing, how did like, 
should sales individuals or when you're promoting your business, whether you have a sales team or you're selling yourself, should you have a set of stories that you tell in your sales process? Is it just a random, you know, try to insert a story during the conversation that you're having? What are the best stories to tell from a, from a sales and marketing perspective? Yeah. So a great question. So first of all, none of this should be random, right? The, the stories you tell should be intentional, just like every other set of words that come out of your mouth in a sales call. You should have planned. I'm going to talk about this and this and this. This is my, you know, my sales pitch is kind of follows this pattern. Um, the stories you tell at different points during that pitch ought to be planned, just like every other thing. Now, if somebody asks a question and you need to answer it by telling a story, obviously that wasn't planned. But, you know, you, salespeople don't plan you know, every objection that they're going to get, because they, they may not have ever heard that objection before, but you should be prepared for all those. Um, but what, what I, I did in the book, as you know, is uh, I, I interviewed dozens and dozens and dozens of professional salespeople, but also professional buyers, right? Professional procurement managers to find out which stories they should, you know, salespeople should be telling. And I documented 25 different t- kinds in the book. And so if, if you go through the entire sales process that most people follow, there's a handful of these stories in each phase of the sales process. So, you know, a couple of stories for when you're introducing yourself for the first time, you know, a couple of stories or, uh, you know, to when you're preparing for the sales calls, these are stories you just tell yourself. Definitely a number of stories that you tell when you're building rapport with your buyer, a number of other stories you would tell during the main sales pitch itself, uh, different stories for handling objections, other stories for actually closing the sale. And then there's a set of stories for managing customer relationships after the sale. So there are stories that you you would would and should tell in each of those phases, and each of them has a different specific objective to move you forward to the next phase of the sales process. So how do um, how do individuals come up with with those stories? What's yeah. the is it what's the best process to go through to to figure out which stories you need to be telling? Yeah. So um, first of all, start so start with the kind of standard list of twenty five and figure out which of these do I need. All right, because you probably don't need all. 25, right? Most people need 12 or 15 or 17 or something. Um, but th- it's a good list to start with. And, and I'll, I'll send you a link and you can put it in the show notes as well to the list of the 25 types of stories. But most of my clients, as you know, I'll, I'll cover the list of 25 with them and they can pretty quickly, you know, I'll send them into a brainstorming session where they'll spend 15 or 20 minutes picking, you know, which of the, tw- which of the 25 do we need most urgently right now? Um, and you can probably do the same yourself once you go through the list. But like in the building rapport phase, it would be things like um, why I do what I do for a living or your, your company's founding story. Or uh, here's a really important one. It's number 11 on my list. How we're different from our competitors. Right? You've got to be able to explain that in the form of a story. You know, when you're into the main sales pitch, um, you know, a pro- what I call a problem story. It's number 13. It's a story that illustrates the, the quintessential problem that your product or service solves, right? Which is especially important if your prospect doesn't even know they have the problem, right? You need to show them that they have the problem before you can convince them that they need to buy your solution to it. Um, But then, you know, standard ones would be a customer success stories, number 14 on the list. Um, You know, then you'll have a story to help negotiate price and a, you know, a story to create a sense of urgency. This is when in the closing of the sale, you know, phase of the process. Um, a loyalty building story is a specific type of story out after you've made the sale to, to keep them coming back. So just looking through this list of 25 is a, a good place to start and then narrow it down to the, you know, maybe the five most important ones to you. And then you can go looking for those stories and then crafting them. But you need to know what stories do I need 
before you should just go f- finding random stories because you may never need the random stories that you find, you find, right? Right. So have you ever had a client come back to you that you've helped in the storytelling process, coming up with the stories, come back and be like, man, my clients are just like, they're tired of me telling stories. Like they, <laughs> like it feels like just a big story fest rather than a sales process. No is the, the short answer. I've not, I've not had anybody come back and do that, but I can imagine that they could if they overused storytelling. So here's the, here's the guidance I would give you. Um, you should only be telling stories about 10 to 15% of the time that okay. you're, you're talking. Okay. So 85 to 90% of the time, you shouldn't be telling stories. I mean, if all you did was tell stories, yeah, that would just be weird, right? Now, so, so, so let's do that math. So if you had a one-hour presentation with a client, that means that between six and nine minutes should be telling stories, right? But 51 to 54 minutes of the 60 minutes, you should not be telling a story. And these stories, by the way, are just two or three minutes long. So what that means is in a one-hour presentation, you should, sell, you should tell two or three two-minute stories. That's it, right? Maybe one near the beginning, one in the middle, one at the end. That's it. Now, a month later, out of that one hour, what do you think they're going to remember the most? Those three stories, probably. Yeah, those three stories you told. Okay, so so storytelling should be a tiny fraction, the minority of the words coming out of your mouth, but they will probably be a majority of the influence and memorability of what you say. So they will have the biggest impact of what you say but part of that is because it should be a small part of what you say. If that's all you did, then they wouldn't know which stories to remember. So you need to be um, choiceful with when you tell stories. And if you do that, no, you, nobody will ever come back with that kind of feedback. Oh, they got sick of me telling stories. It's almost as if the the buyers don't really even understand that they're actually going through a sales process. It just seems like a natural flow with, with the stories being told. Yes. In fact, uh, I'm glad you said that because if the way you tell a story makes people all of a sudden think, oh, he's telling a story now. Well, you're not doing it right. It, it, should just, it should just flow like the natural conversation that you're having. You know, it, but if people that don't know how to tell stories are the ones that, you know, they'll be having a conversation like you and I are now, and then they go, okay, so, um, so I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. Okay, so, uh, all right. Okay, so, so a few years ago, no, wait, okay. Well, first of all, it was me, all right? And so they just make such an enormously big deal about the story that it's, and it becomes this big production and yeah, it's just ridiculous. So in fact, one of the questions I asked the buyers when I was doing the research for that book was I asked them, what is it that makes a sales pitch sound like a sales pitch? And almost all of them gave me the same answer. They said, the moment the tone of the conversation changes from just extemporaneous and conversational to something that sounds scripted and memorized. And they said, that's when I know that the pitch is on. And that's when my the hair on the back of my neck stands up. And that's when I, you know, I get really defensive and I'm, I'm looking to poke holes in everything that they're saying, you know, so yeah. you don't want that to happen. And the way you keep that from happening is you don't change the tone of your voice. You don't like, like a kindergarten teacher would when it's like, okay, gather around boys and girls. It's story time. I mean, like if that, that is not the way to execute this at all. That would just be so bizarre. But, but I know people who do that because they think that they're supposed to, and it just makes it so much less effective. So in the storytelling process, there's obviously a framework. And, and for those individuals that want that framework, they can go get your book, sell, sell the story. Mm-hmm. But one of the, the things, in my opinion, that makes a great story is the ending, right? To mm-hmm. have this captivating, 
almost like a you didn't see it coming surprise and it kind of, kind of like the movies the best movies yeah. you watch are the ones that you're like oh man i didn't see that coming in the end but the ones that you have pegged you know 20 minutes into the movie and you know that's the villain and this is what he does like those aren't any fun right so right. when it comes to storytelling like how do you is there a, is there a strategy behind kind of keeping the end or the ending a surprise to where it kind of knocks people off their socks and they get wowed and, and things like that. What would you say around that? Yes, there is. So first of all, it is important to have a surprise ending if, if at all possible. It just, it makes the story so much more powerful. It literally physiologically makes it more memorable. Like it literally a surprise releases a little adrenaline in your system and that adrenaline improves and enhances the memory consolidation process, which is what psychologists call the memory formation process. So literally a surprise will make your message more memorable and that, and you want that to happen, right? So that's why you want a surprise. It's not just because it makes it more fun, even though, I mean, it does make it more fun too, but there's a practical reason, right? There's a practical reason for us as a salesperson, as a business development person, as an entrepreneur to, to put surprises in. And the way to do it, uh, there's a very simple technique as well. And it's, so the way you articulated the question was, should you hold off and, you know, don't give away the surprise at the end. Well, that would be the way to do it. If your story has a natural surprise in it, then you should say, well, just don't be tempted to give away the surprise ending. But most stories don't have a surprise ending. And so the advice to don't give away the surprise ending isn't helpful if there's not a surprise ending to give away. What's more helpful is here's a technique to create a surprise ending, right? And there is a very simple one. I'll, I'll give it to you right now. I know. So I, in fact, I'll, I'll just illustrate it in use and you'll see how it works. So there's a young boy named James, right? Nine years old. He's in the kitchen with his mom and his mom's sister. So while mom and auntie are sitting at the kitchen table, having a cup of tea, James is standing over at the stove watching the tea kettle boil. And he's just fascinated with it, right? He's watching the steam, a jet of steam come out of the tea kettle and he's got a spoon. He holds it up there into the jet of steam and watches as the water, you know, steam condenses into little drops of water and trickle down the spoon and drip into a cup he's, he's got sitting there to catch the water. And he's just watching that cycle go over and over again, just fascinated with it. Well, eventually his mother gets tired of him, you know, and she just kind of barks at him. She's like, James, go read a book, ride your bike, do your homework, right? Like, aren't you ashamed of yourself? Just wasting your time like this, staring at the steam. Well, fortunately, young James was, I guess, undaunted by his mother's admonition because 20 years later at the age of 29, of course, and in the year 1765, James Watt reinvented the steam engine, ushering in the industrial revolution, which we of course all benefit from today and all based on that fascination with steam that he developed at the age of nine in his mother's kitchen. Right now, now you, I know you read the book, so that probably wasn't a surprise to you, but for most of you listening, unless you're a history buff, that was probably a surprise ending that, Oh, that was, that was James Watt, the inventor of the steam engine. Oh, okay. Now, the first time I read that story, it wasn't a surprise at all. And it's not because I'm a history buff. It's because I read it in a book titled James Watt. It was, a, an, it was a biography of the inventor of the steam engine. So, of course, the story in chapter one about nine-year-old James in the kitchen, of course, that was about James Watt. The whole book was about James Watt, right? But to you or to your listeners, it was a surprise. And the reason why is simple, because I didn't tell you his last name, right, until the end, right? So, Telling your audience who the main character is, is supposed to happen at the beginning, right? Normally, you, you find out who the main character is right at the beginning of the story. And all I told you was his name was James. And, well, actually, I took two things away. And I didn't give you the year, okay? So uh, pr- you and I will probably talk next about kind of the structure of these stories and 
where and when it happens and who the main character is are questions that you really should answer right up front. That's the way an audience is used to listening to stories. They're expecting to find out where it happened, when it happened, and who the main character is very early in the story. And if you take one or two of those little pieces and move them to the end, you create a surprise, right? Because they're expecting that information at the beginning, right? So you can create a surprise in just about any story with that same technique by taking one or two of those little vital pieces of information from the beginning of the story and not giving to the audience until the end. That's a, that's a powerful technique. Do you want to run through, since you mentioned it, do you want to kind of run through just the basic framework of storytelling mm-hmm. and so that people know if they're crafting their own stories, kind of what framework they should be following? And obviously more detail they can get in your book, but maybe just kind of give an outline there. Yeah. Yeah. So the outline is, is basically just answer these eight questions. All right. So the, these are the eight questions that if you answer them in this order, you'll have a complete story and in the proper order. Okay. So here they are. Uh, first of all, why should I bother listening to your story, right? So you got to answer that question for the audience, right? And it, because if you don't give them a good reason in the first 10 or 15 seconds, right, they might not listen to your story. So um, so once you've adequately answered that question, you've kind of earned the right to answer the next five questions. So that's uh, where and when did it take place? Who's the main character and what did they want? What was the problem or opportunity they ran into? What did they do about it? And how did it turn out in the end? I know that should sound like the natural flow of a story because it is the natural flow of a story. But if you're keeping track, that's only uh, six, right? So there's two more. So that's the seventh one is uh, what did you learn or what should you have learned from the story? And what should I go do now? Me, the audience that I'm, that's hearing the story. So that's your opportunity to make a recommendation. So notice you start out by getting their attention with something. Here's why you should bother listening to me for the next two, two or three minutes, not more, but two or three minutes. Then you go through the natural flow of a story, questions, you know, two through six. And then the last two questions are how you basically make money with that story. You you make sure the right lesson was learned and the right recommendation is forwarded to the audience. All right. So that's, that's the flow that basically all of your stories should follow. This is a, this has been some great information, Paul. Let's talk about your latest book, the 10 stories great leaders tell. Give us a, give us an idea of what that book is about. Yeah, so so the the sell of the story is obviously for salespeople. This one is for we're all kind of all purpose leaders, so it doesn't have to be the CEO, but um, leaders, no matter what function they belong to. And I um, honestly, th- this book it's not one I imagined myself writing, uh, you know, three or four years ago. But I'm glad I had an opportunity because it's the shortest book I've ever written. Right, you can read this book in one hour, and it's designed to be read in a single hour, as opposed to six or eight or nine or ten hours that it takes you to read a normal book. Um, and, and so I wanted, I needed a focus and instead of like the 25 stories salespeople need to tell, or, you know, my first book lead with a story, I think I shared 115 stories in there, right? This book only has 10 stories and I, and it's the place to start. If you're kind of new to storytelling, well, what are the most important stories that I should be telling? These are the 10, right? And in fact, if you'll humor me, I'll tell you what they are. And I'll, so I'll kind of, yeah, I'll give it away, but <laughs> um, no, please do. And then I'll also, you know, in the, in the show notes, I'll make sure that people have a link as to where to get the book. Yeah, good. So yeah, cause in the book, there's, there's one example of each of these 10 stories and then some, you know, uh, tactics and steps to find and craft your own. Cause you, you can't use these 10. These are just examples of them, but right. here's what the 10 stories should be about. All right. So here's the first four of the 10 go together because they're about setting direction for the organization. So here they are. Um, Where do we come from? So that's a founding story, all right? Uh, Why we can't stay there. So that's a case for change story. Uh, Where we're going, 
which is a vision story, and how we're going to get there, which is a strategy story. All right. Um, so imagine if you can tell those four stories, you can pretty easily articulate, you know, where we came from, why we can't stay there, where we're going, and how we're going to get there. All right. Now, the next uh, four go together as well, but they're more about who we are as an organization. So that's um, what we believe. So that's a corporate value story. Who we serve. So that's a customer story, a story about the customer. So everybody can have a visceral human understanding of who we're ultimately working for. What we do for those customers. So that's a classical sales story and how we're different from our competitors. And I call that a marketing story because marketing is typically about differentiating yourself from your competitors. And then uh, the last two go together as well. So number nine and 10, but they're more personal to you, the leader. So that's uh, uh, why I lead the way I do. So that's a personal leadership philosophy story. And number 10 is why you should want to work here. So you, the person you're talking to, right? Because it's the job of every leader to bring in talented people to the organization and have them stay and follow your leadership. So, so again, those I think, is, uh, and hopefully you can see there's something kind of for every functional leader in there, but I think every leader needs to be able to tell at least one of each of those types of stories to adequately lead their part of the organization. It seems like, so you've ta- you're talking about that in a, in a business setting, but it seems like that those 10 stories could be applied across the gamut of leadership from parenting to maybe even friendship to, you know, obviously business because because that's what it's tailored towards. Would you agree or disagree? Yeah, it probably could. Um, in fact, uh, the, my second book was Parenting with a Story for exactly that reason, because as I was <laughs> writing my first book, Lead with a Story, and sharing the stories with people to get feedback on it, one of the most common pieces of feedback I got was, wow, you know, I think I could use that at home with my kids. <laughs> and that's what, you know, after getting that feedback a dozen times, I was like, you know, there, there is a, a lot of similarities between leading people at work and raising kids at home. I mean, yeah. you're, at work, you're dealing with adults, but, you know, if you're the boss, you're, 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 the, you're the boss in both cases, right, as the parent or the, the boss at work. You're, you care about their growth and development. You're responsible for their success. You know, so there are a lot of similarities. Um, and so, yes, yeah, so I, it wouldn't surprise me if you could see a, an at-home analog to each of these business stories. That's great. Well, this has been invaluable information, Paul. I mean, for those individuals that are looking to build their business and and to build wealth from their business, I mean, storytelling is one of those characteristics that if you don't naturally have it, you should definitely develop it. So if if individuals want to get a hold of you or they want to follow you, work with you, work with your organization, how would they do that? How do they get get in touch with you? Yeah, thanks. Probably the easiest way is on my website, which is leadwithastory.com. And there's links there to all my books and the training courses and my contact information and all that kind of stuff. Hey, perfect. Well, thanks. uh, Thanks for joining us, Paul. We really appreciate you today. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. We will catch you next time. See ya. If you want to learn more about me, you can visit my website at www.nicholascjensen.com or follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Nicholas Jensen underscore. That's at Nicholas Jensen underscore. And if you haven't done so already, make sure you hit subscribe on your favorite podcast platform because you do not want to miss out. We'll see you next time on Unlimited Wealth.